Hopefully. The old Skype sound. Are you recording this part? <laughs> hey. Hi, I'm Erin. How are you doing? Good, how are you? Let me just close the door. Okay. Good, thank you. And this is my producer, Katie. Hi, Andrew. Hi. She's the one you were tweeting with. So I'm going to be on the other side recording, so it'll just be you and Aaron. But thank you so much for being here with us over the internet. I've done quite a few of these podcasts now. I quite like them. So before we dive into like the extreme travel, we were just curious about okay. you. Like, tell us about yourself and what you do and like... Well, as a, well, as a, just as a person, not or as a tourist, just a, a normal average guy. Yeah. Um, yeah, I'm just old. <laughs> I've got four children, so yeah. they live with me at home. I'm just a normal guy, really. I run a, I've got a building company, so I employ lots of people. So just an average normal guy, really. Nothing special about me, apart from these strange trips. So, tell us about what your most extreme travel experience has been so far, by your accounts. Well, during my you know, travel, I've met the Ku Klux Klan, I've um, had tea with drug lords, I've been nearly taken hostage, I have been taken hostage. There's so many, um, I've been, uh, we've been kind of attacked by Taliban, um, I've been attacked by ISIS, so the extreme was probably the frontline battle of ISIS. Um, I, I went looking for a frontline, um, but it all went wrong. I actually wanted to dissect the term extreme travel a little bit because that's we've, we've talked on this podcast before about dark tourism and I know that you were on the show Dark Tourists so they were framing your type of travel as that, as dark tourism. Um, but I feel like what you're doing isn't really that. Like Dark tourism seems very accessible. I know that I've been a dark tourist. No, I... See, I don't even believe much in the term of dark tourism. I think all of us are dark. I think most people, with the opportunity, I mean, even television shows the dark sides. I don't, look, I, I, I don't understand it. I think it's just historical places to visit. I mean, Chernobyl, for instance, it's now mainstream HBO, I've got TV series, and most people have got a morbid curiosity. I don't know what, I don't know the term of dark tourism. I certainly don't fit it. Mm -hmm. um, David chose me because of my extreme, and I suppose I'm, classed as the most extreme traveller probably out there. I don't think there's anybody more extreme. Yeah. And for the length of time of doing it. The average able-bodied traveller, myself included, has the privilege of not needing to consider certain things while on the road. I've never needed to email a hotel to check that they have an elevator or map my route based on how to avoid cobblestone streets. So today we're going to chat about this and more with Andrew Gerza. So we're going to be talking about travel, which I think, like, I don't know for sure, but I feel like it's not talked about a lot in terms of like how disability factors into travel and vice versa. Yeah, it's talked about a lot more now because airlines particularly are doing a really shitty job of, uh, of accessibility and they're ruining chairs and mobility devices left, right, and center. So it is being talked about more, but still not enough. And some of the nuances of being disabled and trying to travel are not 
definitely not discuss. So I was, I was so excited when I got your email and you were like, we want to talk about this. And I was like, yes, it's about time somebody wants to. <laughs> Peppermint is an actress, singer, television personality, drag queen, and activist. She's known to many as the beloved runner-up on the ninth season of RuPaul's Drag Race. So today, we're going to chat with Peppermint about her experience as not only a trans woman, but a trans black woman who travels frequently. In one account that I read, which was written by a person who identifies as non-binary, they said that Mm -hmm. before they go into an airport, they do everything that they can to change their appearance to appear as one or the other gender because they want to avoid misgendering so badly but then as you mentioned it's traumatic to have to go through that every single time you need to go through an airport i just thought that this was like in 2019 that tsa agents haven't had any training on this just seems really absurd to me yeah i mean i this is the thing that we is really interesting right um the one time that i was traveling i was in an airport in russia and this was before I had the opportunity to change over my, my identification documents, my passport, my ID. And so I was traveling as I have done many times before. And in the past, I had just kind of um, did it on a wing and a prayer. I would travel, I have my ticket, should be good. I'm obviously the same person. And I never really had an issue until I got to the Moscow airport in Russia. And at that point, Um, I was changing, I was on a connection, so I was in a rush, getting off the plane, running to the next gate, which is always like the other end, might as well be in another country. And by the time I get there, the attendant, she took my ID and just couldn't believe that it was me. Couldn't believe, I don't know what she could believe because she wasn't communicating anything other than the look on her face of disbelief, which turned into this kind of disapproval. and I was, you know, basically in a position where she was not going to, it was clear that she was not going to let me through. We're here today with Natasha Daly. Natasha is a journalist for National Geographic and has worked in the field around the world reporting on animal cruelty within the travel industry. Um, so you've traveled all over the globe to report on animal tourism. But can you tell us about the most prominent and popular forms of animal tourism that you've witnessed around the world? You know, wildlife tourism really runs the gamut from, you know, taking binoculars out and bird watching in the forest or in your backyard, um, or going whale watching on a boat, to the kind of other end of the spectrum, which are these hands-on encounters with wild animals. And that is the stuff I really set out to look at, because that is the area where you start to um, get issues with their treatment and their exploitation. And I can actually speak from my own experience. I traveled through Southeast Asia for several months and of course got sucked into the elephant tourism industry. Um, Reflecting back on it now, I don't think I made a terrible choice in the place that I chose. It was a sanctuary and in retrospect afterwards I did a lot of research into it and basically the conclusion I came to was in most cases like there shouldn't be any interaction with the elephant it's okay to look and see them but in an ideal world we wouldn't be interacting with them at all yeah uh, i think you kind of really summed it up well actually um 
anyone can call themselves a sanctuary uh, for starters, especially in Thailand, the label kind of meat doesn't mean anything. And I think that, you know, the experience you describe actually, um, uh, there are a lot of kind of positive things about it. I think the fact that elephants are free to roam around this jungle environment is wonderful. I think kind of the issue comes about, and this is something that comes up over and over, that sort of interaction. So even if it's for 30 minutes, um, even though those elephants are, of course, in a, uh, it sounds like a much better situation than they were before, um, the, the reality is that that up-close interaction can only take place because they've already been trained. And as long as there's still tourist demand for those pets and selfies and bathing, um, there's still going to be demand for, for trained elephants, um, if that makes sense. So it's it's tough and i think there's no kind of black and white answer and, and there's clearly a massive spectrum um but sort of the ideal goal if you're looking to to be able to to have an experience with elephants and not you know think that you might be contributing to exploiting them um, would be to seek experiences where it's observation only so where you it doesn't rely on that interaction because that means that elephant would not have to be trained for that experience to be possible